Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. And on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors that set up with you today, we're so glad that you're with us, uh, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, uh, maybe you're watching for the first time online by doing a Google search, or if you're in here and you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're with us. We always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know that when you get to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So come back, check us out, and hopefully we can be your spiritual family. Also, if you're watching online with us, we'd love for you to comment, like, and share in all of our experiences, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Church Online or on Facebook. And if you're in here, let, check in, let everybody know you're at church. Uh, it's a great place to be for you and your family. And it just gets the word out that, hey, we're having church, and this is a great place to be in our current time right now, especially. And so I uh, want to uh, just let everybody know we are in the middle of a series uh, called Jonah. Everybody say Jonah. And uh, the reason we're doing that is most of us, if you know anything about the Bible character Jonah inside Scripture, you probably heard uh, about him uh, from a children's book, or maybe you heard about him in a children's ministry setting. And is typically, I brought up in week one, we had that felt board and the felt material characters. And you know how you notice how all the characters are always the same person and same type of thing. And and, uh, we learned that really his claim to fame was being swallowed by a fish. And we learned actually over the last couple of weeks that, man, God has so much to teach us inside of this book, that there's so many stories, there's so much deep meaning that if we look close enough, we can find it. So in week one, we talked about how Jonah was called to go preach to a city called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which was really God's enemy uh, of, the, of the children of Israel, that they were natural enemies of them. They were not nice people. Actually, I was reading from a scholar the other day, and he was saying how the Ninevites had, had actually performed and perfected the way of skinning someone and keeping them alive to actually torture them and hurt them. So I'm telling you, these people were not good people. They were natural enemies of the children of Israel. And God calls Jonah to go preach to them. Naturally, against his will, he actually runs from God and goes to a completely different city in Tarshish. I highly encourage you to go check out week one on our podcast or our YouTube channel. Then last week we talked about Jonah. Towards the end of chapter one, he gets swallowed by the fish. And then in Jonah chapter two, we read what he does in the middle of the fish. And we learn about how what we can do in our toughest moments when you feel like maybe you're underwater, what's the best way to respond to that? And honestly, it could be prayer and having a prayer of deliverance moment in your toughest moments. I highly encourage you to check it out. Jonah taught us a lot last weekend. But this weekend, this week, we're going to talk about now Jonah's out of the fish and we, he gets to go and do what God originally called him to do. And that kind of the, the summary of today's chapter is really Jonah preaches a terrible sermon and God still shows grace. And we're going to show it to you in Jonah chapter number three. If you have your Bibles, it's in the Old Testament. It's hard to find because it's small, but if not, we're going to put it up on the screens for you so you can follow along. But Jonah chapter three, and it says this, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Everybody say second time. How many all faithful and just excited? I mean, just so grateful that God has a second time moment in your life. Come on, how many all? He did. He didn't just come to you once. He came to you twice, just like Jonah. He did with Jonah. And go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So, verse three, he gets in and he says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Uh, most Bible scholars would say that it was about 150,000 people at the time. And then Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. This is his eight-word terrible sermon. 
okay? 40, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So leading up to this moment, you and I would think Jonah has a character uh, turn, that his heart would turn for the people, that he feels like you would think, okay, now he's going to go, and he's going to do what God asked him to do. But really, we find out here, he's kind of like a petulant child who was told to go take out the trash. And you know how, like, when your kids take out the trash in a good way, they do it in a good spirit? And then, but this is not that. You know when, like, they, they pick up the trash, and they're throwing it everywhere, and you're like, can you do it with some heart, right? Do it the right way. Jonah does it in kind of the wrong way, and he preaches his eight word sermon and has nothing, no mention of God, no mention of sin, no mention of their sin, no mention of what they need to do to actually keep the destruction from happening. Come on, like every other prophet in the Bible, when they preached a message, they always talked about God, what it was they did, how to turn away, and here's what's going to happen on their behalf. All this was is he walked in, he said, y'all are going to be destroyed. Good luck with that. So he, we're kind of like, all right, verse 5. And he goes, the Ninevites, and this is just crazy. Okay, this is crazy to me. you got to read the Bible when you read the Bible. This is what's crazy. Then it said, the Ninevites believed God. So this message works. Okay, this is Jonah. Think of Jonah as the proverbial guy who's on the corners saying, turn or burn with a sign that says we're all going to die. And it works. And it literally says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth, which was an ancient practice of really making sure that if you sinned, what you did is you put on the most uncomfortable garment you could that irritated your skin, and it reminded you and I of what sin does to us. It does not let us be comfortable, and it can hurt you over a long period of time. It's kind of why they did it. And so verse 6, it says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne and took off his royal robe. So now not only the people have been reached by this message that you, you guys are all going to die, now the simple message of you're all going to die gets to the king, and it reaches the king, and he gets turned. And it covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust, so much so that he proclaims to the rest of the nation, by the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Put them in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So, okay, so now we have the people turn, the king turn, the cows turn, the Goats turned, the horses turned, everybody's turned. And it's like, this is amazing. And this is what the king says. And we do this with God sometimes. We're like, okay, God, like we heard you're mad. But if we do this, will you just not be mad at us? This is kind of what they do. So he says, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And the, and the chapter ends with this verse. Okay, this is, this is important. The chapter ends with God's response. Come on. To their repentance. When God saw that they did what they turned, they, that they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Everybody say relented. This is important. He said relented and did not bring on them the destruction they had threatened. So Jonah has a miracle. I mean, could you imagine if I went out to Halotus, right? So San Antonio's, you know, a couple million people. Let's just say Halotus. Go out to Halotus. Of 150, say I walk out to Bandera, on the street, and I just started saying, and I preached an eight-word sermon, we're all going to die. And people stop doing what they're doing, and they 150,000 people come to God. Now, I would have been on the news. Fox News would have been out here, CNN, Facebook, social media, YouTube. I'd have been asking on every, I could write a book deal. I mean, it have been instant, right? And in that moment, you and I would have been like, this is amazing. God's so good. Look how incredible it is. And this is Jonah's response to what happened. Chapter one, uh, chapter four, verse one. And then Jonah seemed very to, to Jonah. This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And you're like, 
But Jonah, that's why you went there. Why are you mad at God's grace? And with that as our backdrop, the title of my message today is it's not about fish. It's not about fish. You and I thought growing up Jonah's claim to fame and the story of Jonah was about him getting swallowed by a fish. It was, it's not about a fish. God has something deeper to teach us. And with that, let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I'm honored to speak your word and preach your message. And Holy Spirit, I pray that today you would give us a clear, clear personal word. I have notes, but you have notes for our soul, for our hearts. And I pray that today you would speak to us, God. Maybe we walk out of here different, changed, excited, Lord, with full of purpose after this message and what you're going to speak to us. I take it humbly. I take it honorably that every time I get to walk up here, I get to preach on your behalf. Pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? And I, I like last service was funny because like as soon as I asked this question, it totally changed the mood of the church because everybody's mad at me. But I'm going to ask you a question anyway because I want you to get introspective for a moment. I'm not going to be preaching just so that you can hear me. I need you to think. I want you to think about this particular topic and subject because it's important. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about who right now, right now, right now, who right now do you feel like you hate? Okay, maybe that's a harsh word. Maybe instead of hate, maybe who are you right now? I want you to think. I want you to really go into your heart. I want you to think about who right now do you feel like if they, if something bad happened to them, you would secretly be happy. Okay? Like, I want you to think about that person that wronged you, that hurt you, that offended you, that said something about you, that posted something about you on Facebook, that left you a bad review, that, come on, like, that did something to your heart, that called you a name, that talked about your mama, that talked about your kids. Somebody who did something wrong, the neighbor that talked about you down the street on the Facebook group that, I mean, all know those, parent, those, like, neighborhood Facebook groups, those are dumpster fires, aren't they? Like, that, tell me, that's, like, terrible. I want you to think about that person. For just a moment and get them in your soul. The other day I was thinking about this. I, was, I uh, grew up in a neighborhood where we used to play some like pickup baseball games. And uh, I love playing baseball. We had a neighborhood, had some pickup baseball games. And there was a guy in our neighborhood, there's a kid in our neighborhood. He's like a, almost like a year older than us, all of my friends. And he was so good. He was played select baseball. He was amazing. Like he was recruited in high school. I mean, this guy was incredible at baseball. And we would go play baseball. Think about like the Sandlot kids. We were not that good, okay? We were just out there having fun. And he would actually get up and, and we would ask him every time we would go play baseball, he would go, he would say, no, nah, man, I'm not playing with you guys. It's, it's, it's a waste of my time. So one day we do it and we ask him and he says, yes. Now, how many of y'all know, like we were excited. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, this guy's going to play. Cal Ripken Jr., Barry Bonds, he's going to come play with us. Like, this is great. So we get him to come play with us. And we did the classic thing you do when you have a game. We put, we picked two captains and everybody else stood against the wall. And then they all got picked, right? So then he gets up there. He was one of the captains. Another kid was another one of the captains. And I stood on the wall with the rest of my friends. Well, you know, at the beginning, what you're really hoping for, right, is you want to get picked what? You want to get picked first, number one, right? If you're, if you're, you know, if you're first, if you're not first, you're last. That's what Ricky Bobby said. So that's what I want to be. I want to be number one. And so number one goes, it wasn't me. And so I'm like, okay, I just don't want to be number one. Maybe I'll be number two, number three. That goes by number four, number five. So by get halfway through at this point, I just don't want to be last, right? So now you're not wanting to be last. You're kind of hoping what things are going on. I'm sitting there and I get to the end and it's just me and this little scrawny dude who doesn't even play baseball and was dragged out there by his brother. 
So it's between me and him, and I'm praying, and I'm seeking God under my breath, in my mind, going, God, please, I'm a Christian. You know me. I love you. These people need to see the goodness of God. I'm a Christian. Help me out. I think I just gave in church last weekend. Help me. You can do this, God. And he looks up to the people. He looks. It was the guys that professional guys turn to pick. He turns to the other kid and he goes, hey, listen, you can have Tubby over there. I don't want him. I'll take the other guy and walks off. Now, my feelings were hurt. Everybody laughed because kids do that. They laugh and they make people feel bad. I was sad and I was offended. Come on. How many of y'all know? Did anybody ever been offended before on the way to church? Okay. And so I was offended and I secretly prayed in that moment. None of you guys pray like this because I do this, so it's not you, but it's me. So I prayed. I said, God, this is your chance for justice. This is your David and Goliath moment. I'm David. That's Goliath. I should win now because I got your power. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to win. So we start playing. And from the moment the first ball was thrown to the time it was over, they destroyed us. I mean, it wasn't even close. It was like, you ever get to a game where you stop keeping score and you know you just start counting the outs, you know, like, hey, let's just get the inning over with because you're clearly out of reach right here. It's done. You know, they had run ruled us a hundred times. And I get to the end of the game and I was frustrated. I was so mad because I had thought in my mind, I'm like, God, I'm a Christian. I follow you. I'm a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a disciple. And this guy isn't. And he did something wrong to me. He wronged me and my friends and my people. And now I'm so frustrated. I'm mad at you. Doesn't that sound like someone we just read? Because when you read the book of Jonah, the Bible says in chapter 4 that he actually gets so mad with God that he thinks God's grace is literally, these are the words, evil. He calls God evil. That he becomes this thing where he kind of realizes, like, God, I'm okay with you giving me grace, but I'm not okay with you giving them grace. And he says, you, you, you have to have this, 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 and again, go back to that person. Humor me for a moment. Will you humor me? Is that okay? Can we do that? Just, if you're online, you're watching, you're in here, we just humor me for a moment. Nothing weird is going to happen. Just close your eyes for just a moment. Just close your eyes. Just humor me. Humor the pastor. I know I'm weird. Just, just do it for me. Close your eyes. I want you to picture that person that, you, that you're mad at, the person that you offended you, the person that you hate, the person that you got uh, against, the person that you would love and you would celebrate if they got hurt or something bad happened to them. Put them in your mind. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's a group. Come on. Maybe it's people you don't really like or you don't believe in and you don't really think they know what they're doing. Come on. Picture the Democrats. Picture the Republicans. Picture whoever you want. All right. A group of people who seem to have missed the mark in your mind and they are offensive to you. Picture them in your mind. Now, then I want you want to do is I want you to picture God relenting to them. God giving them grace giving them grace over hurting you, giving them grace over offending you, giving them grace. And then now I want you to examine your feelings about that grace that God just gave. Because that's what the book of Jonah is all about. It ain't about a fish. It's about God's grace. In fact, it's about the wrestling match that disciples have with God's grace being given out to people who hurt them. That's what this, I see this whole message was actually leading up to chapter three. Number chapter one, I was just teasing a little bit. Chapter two, I was teasing a little bit more. I was poking you. And then chapter three, this is where I'm going to reveal it. This is the lesson of Jonah. Is that it, it, was a, it was a commentary. It was a social op-ed piece like the New York Times or the LA Times. It was a social commentary on the human nature of people when it comes to God's grace. And this is the comment. I want to read you the comment. This is what it literally meant. It meant it, 
It meant Christians are good at receiving the grace of God, but we're bad at giving it. That's what the comment, that's what the writer's initial and original intent of the book was. It was about getting us to realize that we struggle when it comes to giving it out. Now, why, why is this so hard? Why do we struggle? The reason that we struggle with giving out the grace of God or God actually giving out the grace of great, his grace to people who hurt us is because inevitably that grace tends to run through us. That Jonah's grace to the people of Nineveh was going to run through him. The whole point was it to get not, not just to him, but through him. Lesson, side note, anytime God gives you something, just so you know, it's not to get to you. It's get to get through you. So if God gives you blessing and finances, it's not to get to you. It's get to through you. God gives you energy and time. God gives it to you. It does not to to you. It's through you. Come on. He wants you to do something with it. We are stewards of it. And oftentimes when it comes to God's grace, we put all of his grace in a bucket and we do this. And we like to store it and save it and keep it and use it whenever we want. But the grace of God was designed. We're supposed to live our life like this. You notice how it's a it's a it's a it's a tube. It's a conduit. This is a is, is a is a device for moving things from one place to another. And when God gives you and I grace, the whole point of is it of it is to move from you to others. And the reason it's so hard is it's because it's typically to the people that offended us. And I don't like that, do you? Picture that person. Picture them. I know you got them in your mind. Now, why is this so important? The, the, the reason that this lesson is important, the reason that Jonah's lesson is important is that God has a desire, and that desire is fulfilled through how we see grace. I'll give you an indication of God's desire for the world. First Timothy, I'll show it to you. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. This is God's pleasing sight. Okay, Who desires, here it is, there it is, it's his desire, all people. Everybody say all. I checked in the Greek, all means all, so we're good. Okay. All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's desire is that people would turn from their wicked ways and come into the knowledge of him. They want, he wants them to hear the gospel, number one. This is his desire. Number one, he wants them to hear the gospel. That's what Jonah, God wanted for the Ninevites. Jonah, go preach him the gospel. Number two, he wants them to move from just not just hearing the gospel, but turning from their sin. Come on, there's got to be a repentance inside of this. And then after that, he wants you to walk in a relationship with him. That's his desire for mankind, for the world. But it comes through grace. That's why the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. By grace, by grace. Like it's the conduit that God uses. God uses us. He uses you. He uses me. I sometimes wish he didn't do that because I'd rather him go deal with my enemies independent of me. Anybody else? And so if we're not careful, we'll forget that grace is the, it's the, it's the key. So if that's the truth, then I'm going to give you five applications as we wrap up today. Like five? Like No, I promise you'll be quick. Okay, we're almost done. Five applications of grace. Because this is important. You need to not only know that you need to be graceful. I need to be graceful. We need to know how to be graceful. I want to give you some steps today. Number one is this. The first way we can grow and have an application of grace is we need to grow in grace. 
We need to be able to, to grow in grace. Second Peter says it like this, but grow. Everybody say grow. grow. Come on online. You're with me. Say grow. Grow. Say, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's simply saying this. If, if you're going to live with grace, we need to grow in grace. It's simple. Whatever grace you have now, like, Pastor, how do I do it? Whatever grace you have now, you should have more of it next year. Grow means grow, as in add to it, as in take a, a, a step. And Pastor, I don't know if I can be like that right now. I'm not asking you to be like that. In fact, I don't think God's asking us to be like that. I think what he's saying is just point yourself in the right direction and start walking. Just start taking a step. I love our church. Can we have one of these cultural statements? It's kind of interesting here. It's just like who we are, how we want to live our life, okay? How things should come out. Here's one of our cultural statements. It kind of matches it. It says, it's okay to not be okay. And all the religious people go, <gasps> just wait. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Like, like it's okay that you, 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 you can come in here. I can come in here flawed in every aspect of my life and come into the presence of God. And, and God can do something with that. I mean, isn't that the gospel? So it's okay for you not to be okay. His desire is not for us to stay that way, though. You're not supposed to just stay where you're at. You're not supposed to just stay in your sin. You're not supposed to just stay where you're at. You gotta, you gotta take a step. Everybody say step. Yeah, like you gotta actually move towards where you're you're trying to go so that you can grow in grace. So just grow in it in whatever way that you can, in whatever way that you will, just grow in some level of grace inside of your life. That's an application I think you and I can take to the bank. Number two is this is uh, we need to be strengthened by grace. We need to be strengthened by grace. Scripture says it like this. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. So God's speaking. My grace is sufficient for you. Everybody raise your hand right now. Just one hand. Pick a hand like you put deodorant on today and you're confident. Great. You have a hand. Point to yourself. Point like this. Point, 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 point to yourself. Great, great, great. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. He's saying, my grace needs to be sufficient for you first before it's sufficient for others. Because you can't give what you don't have. You, you can't give what you don't. you got to accept the grace of God for yourself. you got to be okay with. Some of us are hard on others because you're hard on yourself. The other day I was sitting with my son Judah. Um, and I, you know, I got five kids, and they're all boys. Pray for me. And, um, and they're, they're great kids. But the other day, he did something so funny. I'm sitting on the couch. And he walks up to me, and, uh, you know, he's, he's the fourth. He's the fourth. He's, yeah, my wife. Okay, he's the fourth kid that I have, and he's six. Don't judge me. I have five. So, so five, four. So he's the fourth kid. He runs it. He's six years old. As he runs up to me, he goes, hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. 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 I said, yeah. Yes, son. He goes, he goes hey, um, can I play on the iPad? No. Okay. And I was like, what just happened? And I said, son, son, son. He goes, yes, daddy. I said, come, come, here, come here, come here. I go, what did you ask me? He goes, nothing. I go, no, I'm not, you're not in trouble. I just, what did you just ask me? I, I, you said it so fast, I didn't even catch it. She go, he, goes, he goes, well, I was, I was asking you about the iPad. I said, but you didn't ask like that. What did you ask? He said, why? Well, I asked, I said, do you want, to, can I play with the iPad? And I said, no. I was like, why did you say no? He goes, because I thought you would say no. And I didn't want, I just... I didn't want to wait for you to say no. I, I just figured you were going to say no anyway. And I was like, how did you know I was going to say no? He goes, well, I, I don't know that. I said, ask me again. 
but don't give me my answer. He said, okay. He thought it was like a trick or something, you know. <laughs> he, said, he said, Daddy, can I, can I have the iPad? I said, yes. And he's like, okay. And he runs off. Now, I tell you that story, and you, you, you and I would look at my six-year-old and go, that's silly. Why would he walk up to you and say, no. We do that with God all the time. I would bear to say that we say no to God for him on his behalf all the time. God's not going to forgive me. Why even ask? God, are you going to forgive me? No, I know. I, I figured. I, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. And because you and I can't receive the grace of God, come on. Some of us are actually probably pretty good givers. But some of us might be terrible receivers. And just so you know, you can't fully experience the gift of giving until you learn to receive. Because when you receive it, you, you realize, wow, this is cool. Wow, this is amazing. Wow, this is what God does to me. So, so you, you, you step into God's grace and you're like, God, thank you. Thank you so much for the iPad of life, right? <laughs> like, God, you're so good to me. And you, what, what eventually happens is you turn around and it makes giving it that much better. Because then you're, now you're not holding it to yourself with the bucket. You're turning around and trying to find who you can give it to. Because now you have it to give. Number three is this. We've got to be humbled by grace. We've got to be humbled by grace. Scripture says it like this. For by the grace given me, I like this. He said, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Now, if there's ever been a scripture for the world right now, that is it. Because there's a whole lot of people who think themselves highlier than they ought. There's a whole lot of oughtn't going around, right? And you're like, what in the world? But I, I've noticed, and this is just a, a commentary on life. Just, you know, I've been in ministry for almost two decades. Just trust me in this a little bit because I've been around people and pastoring people and been around people. Um, I, I, I have seen, just, just this is my opinion, my, 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 my social commentary would be critical people are incredibly prideful people. Critical people are incredibly prideful. And you've got to be careful with people you hang out with because if they tend to always talk to you about what's wrong with everyone else, that's a sign. If they tend to talk to why all why, why everything's wrong with their friends, everything that's wrong with their family, everything that's wrong with their job, everything that's wrong with their husband, everything that's wrong with HEB, everything that's wrong with you know the government, everything that's wrong with you know the, the president, everything that's wrong with their boss, everything that's wrong with their church, everything that's wrong with their pastor, everything that's wrong with the clothes that they wear, everything that's wrong with Nordstrom and Ross and TJ Maxx and McDonald's and Starbucks and the American Airlines and Delta and Southwest and Amtrak and China and like, come on. Critical people are incredibly prideful people because they figured it out. Pride says, I figured it out. The pride says, I, I got this thing figured out. I mastered it. You don't know. I know. I, I to hear it all the time in church. You know, I've had people walk up to me in church. And I don't proclaim to think that we do church right or perfect. It's just the vision that we have here. But I've had people come into our, not just this church, but churches I've been at. I've been in ministry for many years, so I get it. Like, and so we'll come in with preference, and we'll feel like if they don't do it this way, then they're wrong. 
because they figured, I had somebody come and say, we need to worship like this. And it's, they gave me their laundry list of their, their criteria and the box that they put God in that only God can move in this box. And if we don't do that, then the box has now defined their God. And I just noticed this, that if it's God and you can control him and you can figure him out, then he ceases to exist as God. Hello. That's the nature of God. There should always be a divine mystery on how he does things and works things out. He has principles. But when we put preference over people, come on, sounds a little pharisaical to me. And so people could come in and they're like, you need to do it like this. You need to do it like this. And you need to, before you know it, it has to be a two and a half hour long worship set with, you know, flags waving and running and for God to move. And I look at that and I kind of go, wait a minute. It seems to me the God that I serve can move in one second, just like he can move in two hours. So I'm not saying you're wrong. You could have preference, which is good. We can agree there. But let's not move to the critical side of our personality where now we have figured out God. You have now figured out God. That's great. We need to have dinner because I have a whole lot of questions for you about God. So I'm concerned with our level of criticism and critical nature that we can. We got to be careful. Critical people are always prideful, but graceful people are humble. They they, they, they move with a level of love and grace that just, it's attractive. No one's ever said, that person's so critical, I want to hang out with them. I've never heard it, but I have always heard, man, that guy is so humble. Gosh, I just want to, I just want to go to dinner. I just want to, she is so, she walks with such grace. Isn't that what you, come on, we all describe that, right? She walks with such grace and humility. It's so attractive. I don't even know why. I just want to call her and text her and hang out and take her to coffee. Why? Because, because it's attractive. In fact, the Bible talks about how God opposes the proud. He's like offended by proud people because it, in the root of it, it's basically saying you have figured him out and God can't be figured out. That's not the way it works. Critical people are prideful people. I'll get off of that because we don't like that one. So anyway, I will say this before I move on. If, if, if you and I struggle with, because uh, I struggle with this. If you and I struggle with the revelation of pride, here's one that I could just give us. Because if you have a revelation, not just knowledge of, of, of the grace of God, but if you have a revelation of the grace of God, you, you move, it moves from knowledge to actual practical movement and living your life. It should affect the way that you live. Here's one revelation of grace. Just which, the creator of the universe stepped into his own story, the one he was writing, to elevate others who didn't deserve it. So God's writing a story of humanity, and he pauses to step into it because for people who, who, who could not give him anything, and for people who didn't deserve it. So we should walk around with a level of like, I don't, that alone should posture our spirit to where when we meet people, all you want to do is be a conduit of the grace that you have received. Jonah forgot that. Jonah forgot not just once, but hello, twice he received the very thing God was trying to give to people who he hated, and he didn't even want that. He forgot. He was prideful. He did not wear grace. Number four is this. We need to have grace on our lips. We need to have grace on our lips. 
Scripture says it like this uh, in Colossians chapter 4. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Some translations say let your, let your lips be full of grace. That we need to actually speak in a way that actually articulates this thing called grace. Um, the other, I was thinking about back this, this is kind of funny. I was sitting with a pastor. We were having dinner. This was before I had kids or a wife. And uh, he was with his kids, and um, his teenage son comes up to him, and he, he, he kind of interrupts, and he says, he says, Dad, I need this, 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 and this. And he, he starts to walk away, and, and the pastor literally, this is what he does. He goes, stop, come back, young man. So he comes back, and he goes, yes. And he goes, he goes tone and pitch. And the son goes, oh, um, hey, Dad, um, would it be all right if I could have this, this, and this? Would that be okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, great. So he walks off. And I go, what just happened? I go, well, what is tone and pitch? He goes, listen. He goes, it didn't matter what he was asking for. It was how he asked it that made all the difference. His tone and his pitch was wrong. And I was like, I didn't understand, you know. Then I had kids. Now I understand. <laughs> I'll do one better for you. Now I have a wife. Now I understand. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Isn't that the statement? Isn't that the funny cultural statement we always say? Like, well, it wasn't, how, it wasn't what you said. It was, oh, yeah. It's how you said it. Another one's like, say it like you mean it. Okay. You're saying the same thing. It's all in your tone and in your pitch. And my question to you would be, do you walk around with a tone and a pitch of grace? Do you walk around and speak with levels of grace on your language? Is, are you harsh with your words with your kids? Are you harsh with your wife, with your husband? Are you harsh with your job and your boss? Are you harsh with the people at the gas station? Are you harsh with the people at the post office? Do we even go to the post office anymore? Are we harsh with it? Come on. Like, are you harsh? Do you, do you speak with grace? Do you use words of grace? And if you don't know how to have a tone and pitch of it, I would bear to ask your spouse or your kids or your boss or your friend, hey, do I I have a graceful tone. And just by the way, your great your tone and pitch often does reflect onto and into what you will eventually say. Because it's really hard to say something positive in a negative way. Because you'll move from, you know, they didn't they didn't sound right in that in that place the other day. That's kind of kind of weird, and it keeps moving to. They didn't sound. They meant to not sound right, man. They really didn't want it to sound right to me. And now, they, man, why did they attack me? And to to eventually where you, they were all all, the, all of those places. They attack me. Well, where did it start? With your tone, and your pitch. Last one is this, and as I'm closing, we need to be able to give with grace. Scripture says it like this. Second Corinthians says, but since you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and to love what you can, I like it's because he's kind of like, hey, all the religious people, because you're so good. You're so good at faith. You're so good in your speech and in your knowledge. You know the Bible the best. In complete earnest, you work hard and you have love and you have kindled to you. So see that you don't miss out on this grace of giving, that you don't excel in it, this grace of giving. A great um, statement that we say here regularly is freely I have been given and freely I will give. Freely I have been given 
and freely I will give. You and I have not earned anything that God has given to us. It was given to us by, by a, it's a gift, and it's by its very nature cannot be earned. It was freely given to us. So your time was given to you. Your talent was given to you. Your energy was given to you. Your house was given to you. Your kids were given to you. Your, your money was given to you. Your spouse was given to you. Your job was given to you. Your boat was given to you. Your lawnmower was given to you. Your clothes were given to you. Your kids were given to you. Come on, come on. Your brothers were given to you. Your sisters are given to you. Well, I, did I dismiss anything? Come on. Everything was given to us. And so if it's been freely given to us, we need to walk around and understand with a, hum, a humble and a posture of humility to say, I've been given to free, freely I give. Freely I give. A cultural statement we use and we say here uh, regularly arises, um, I am an owner of nothing and a steward of everything. Since everything has been given to me, then I own nothing. I'm a steward of it. God's looking at me and saying, hey, you, I gave you a, a son. Have you stewarded that son well? Because one day he's not going to be in your house anymore. And then when he's not in your house anymore, you should have trained him enough so that when he raises and you raise him and he grows up, he does not depart in the ways of God. Come on. Like, did you steward well? Because he ain't yours. He's mine. Come on. I gave you some money. I gave you some finances. It's not about giving. I'm not taking four offerings today. That's not what this is about. If you never gave a dime to the church, it wouldn't matter. You can come here. I'd love you for free. I couldn't love you more. Could not love you less. It's not how it works around here. But if God gave you some finances, come on, do you, do freely you've been given. Freely you can give. You're stewarding it well. He's trying. Did you steward it well? Did you do something with it? When you saw a need, did you fulfill the need? If you saw it, I, I, like, I love how people do, they, we, we do this sometimes. It's kind of like a Christian thing to do. You see a need, I'm going to go pray about it. Okay, but, but if you saw it, if you saw it and other people didn't, come on. Like, if you saw it, I already, I already prayed about it for you. And the Bible already told you if you see a need, you should fill it. Like, that's our job. That's our, that's our call. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be loving and helping people in the world to excel in the grace of giving. My prayer for us today is that our life would not reflect the life of Jonah. I don't worship Jonah. I don't celebrate Jonah. Uh, in fact, if you read more of Jonah, and next week we're going to get into chapter 4, that most children's stories omit. And the reason they do is because it reveals the character of Jonah even more so. Because you see it in Amos, but it's almost like Amos gives us an indication of what Jonah's character is like. Then all of Jonah reveals it, and chapter 4 comes to a culmination of this is really who Jonah is. So we don't worship Jonah. We worship Jesus. My hope was that we would reflect the heart of Jesus in every aspect of our life. And that's my prayer for you today.